Welcome to Kevin Condor's podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of David, based on Kevin's best-selling book by the same title. It's available in paperback and e-back formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Finally, the ongoing impact of Kevin's ministry is only possible because of the generosity of friends and supporters like you. Why not consider making a donation today at kevinconnor.org forward slash donate. Thanks very much. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come here, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. We pray the Lord will bless the word to our hearts. Now, as we've been sharing in the last couple of weeks, we saw particularly in Acts chapter 15 where the council got together to deal with the Gentile problem. And James, by a word of wisdom, says that the Lord would build again the tabernacle of David, that the Gentiles would come into it. And we saw in our session together that both Jews and Gentiles would not go back into the tabernacle of Moses and uh, all that that represents under the Mosaic covenant, but they would come together into the tabernacle of David representing the new covenant as we'll be seeing in due time. And then last week we particularly uh, dealt with the prophetic uh, word here, that the prophets, as we said, Isaiah, the major and minor prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth, Micah, these prophets were caught up in what we refer to as uh, God's prophetic perspective. They are seeing things from God's viewpoint uh, because time, past, present, and future is just one eternal present to the Lord. And so as the prophets are caught up and they're talking about things that would happen in the last days, they're seeing things from God's viewpoint God's uh, prophetic perspective as we refer to it. Then we uh, particularly dealt last Sunday with verse 2 as the prophet Isaiah along with Micah who were contemporary prophets, a major and a minor prophet, so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word would be established. We saw how he said that in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house would be established in the top of the mountains. And we saw as we uh, went through the scriptures last week that the prophets are talking from God's viewpoint. A day under the law is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. We saw the four days of the Passover lamb and that you and I are now living in the last days. And uh, as we finished our message last week, we particularly noted five last day prophecies. And if you've got your notes there, why don't you verbalize five things that would happen in the last days and then we'll be continue on now as we look at the mountain and the house this morning. All right, if you've got your notes, the first thing we said, number one, was that in the last days, God has spoken unto us in the person of his Son. Let's all say it together. In the last days, God has spoken unto us in the person of his Son. All right, we found that in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Number two, the second thing that would happen in the last days was this, that in the last days, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we saw how this was quoted in Acts chapter 2. 
verses 17 through to 20, and uh, Peter is quoting from the prophet Joel, chapter 2. Then number three, the third thing that we saw would happen in the last days, and this was more on the negative side, uh, the first two on positive side, God speaking to us in the person of his Son, and then the Holy Spirit being poured out on flesh. Uh, under number three and the last days, the third thing would be that there would be a perilous times would come and there would be departure from the faith. And we found this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through to 5. Number four, the fourth thing that we saw would happen in the last days would be what? There would be scoffers who would mock the second coming of the Lord. In the last days there would arise scoffers saying, oh, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? You Christians always talking about the Lord's coming and everything just continues the same as from the beginning of creation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through to 10. And then number 5, the fifth thing, and this is what we're looking at together. In the last days, the house of the Lord was be established in the top of the mountains. Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4. So as we look at those five last day prophecies, we find that there are both uh, negative and positive streams running through the scripture. They would run parallel right through to the second coming of the Lord. On the negative side, there would be uh, perilous times, departure from the faith. Scoffers would mock the second coming. But on the positive side, God spoke to us in the person of his Son, Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh, and the house of the Lord would be established in the top of the mountains. Now, if you've got your Bible open to Isaiah chapter 2, let's pick up in verse 2 and 3 again. Two symbols we want to look at, particularly one of them, but we'll refer to the both of them, of course. Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. All right, so Isaiah says, it should come to pass in the last days, so I trust we're all settled on that, that we believe you and I are living in the last of the last days. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, the last of the last days. All right, now he says, the mountain of the Lord's house, a mountain and a house, a mountain and a house. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established or prepared in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow unto it. And many people, not everybody, because everybody's not going to be saved, everybody's not going to respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, but many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go mountain climbing, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house, oh, the mountain and the house. Go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and in this mountain, in this house on the mountain, he's going to teach us of his ways, we're going to walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, as I said last week, when we go back to the prophets in particular, in particular, and we're looking at Isaiah here and then uh, later on into Amos where the tabernacle of David is to be built. As we read these scriptures, and as I've read them over the years, we have to ask ourselves questions. Isaiah, what are you talking about the last days? Well, I trust that we settled that for all of our hearts last week with these scriptures of the five last day prophecies at least. Now when he says the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains. What are you talking about, Isaiah? What mountains? And exalted above the hills. What hills? What are you talking about? The mountain of the Lord's house being established in the top of the mountains and being exalted the hills. 
and the nations flowing to it, all nations flowing to it. And then uh, many people out of all nations saying, come on, let's go to the mountain. Let's go to the house of the Lord. What is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about literal mountain climbing? Or is he using symbolic language that uh, we need to look at and that even those in his time understood in measure? Now, the two things that we need to look at this morning in our time is the mountain and the house. Now, if you're taking down notes, I want you to make a note of those two things. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, particularly the latter one. But the mountain and the house. Come and let it. Let us go. And we've been singing this morning. As I said, one of the great dangers is in any church, and particularly like Waverly Christian Fellowship, is just singing these things, enjoying the melody, clapping our hands to the rhythm of the thing and everything, but we don't even understand what we're singing. So if I ask you to come up on the platform, this man said, okay, and I ask you to say, well, what do you mean by coming to the mountain of the Lord? A literal mountain? You're going mountain climbing, Mount Donabuang? To the house of our God? Well, what's this? Sheep shed? What are you talking about? What are, you, what are we even singing about? And so the great danger is that we sing choruses, clap our hands, enjoy the music, and we miss the message of the music. We'll be dealing with music on several Sundays later on too. All right, so mountain and house. The mountain and the house. Now I want you to turn to several scriptures with me, and we're trying to get back into the mind of the prophets as Isaiah was standing there uh, before the temple of the Lord on the mountain, as we'll see. And he hears the, uh, and the people hear him prophesy in the last days, mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established. What are you talking about, Isaiah? What did it mean to them? Let's turn over to several scriptures here, and we'll turn to Psalm 125. And in a couple of Sundays, next Sunday is a very, very important Sunday for what we're sharing in our series. And then the following Sunday... Uh, Mark doesn't know this, but he's getting it this morning. Mark and I are going to be taking the service together on a very important area on the tabernacle of the Lord. Okay, so it's very important that you don't miss the next two Sundays. All right, Psalm 125, Psalm 125. Two symbols we have to look at together, the mountain and the house. The mountain and the house. Now, Psalm 125 and verses 1 and 2. Want to read? They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. The prophetic word came to us this morning about Mount Zion. So they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. So you'll notice verse 1. Those that trust in the Lord are going to be as Mount Zion. We sing about going up to Mount Zion, coming to Zion, we're marching to Zion, Mount Zion. But as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. Let's go over to Psalm 87 for another thought on mountains. Psalm 87. You'll find that the psalmist and the prophets in the Old Testament writers are continually referring to mountains, to mountains. What are they talking about? What does it mean to us? What did it mean to them? Psalm 87 and verse uh, 1 and 2. His foundation is in the holy mountains. Foundation singular. So we're laying a foundation of the tabernacle of David. His foundation is in the holy mountains, plural. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. 
tremendous psalm we're going to be seeing. His foundation is in the holy mountains. Let's go to one other scripture here before I expound a little bit. Let's go to the Song of Solomon, which is just before the prophet Isaiah. Song of Solomon, just before Isaiah. And in the uh, Song of Solomon, the writer Solomon himself is talking about mountains, mountains. Song of Solomon. Let's just read these several scriptures here. Uh, Song of Solomon chapter uh, 2. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 17. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bethur. The mountains, the mountains of Bethur. Chapter 4 and verses 6. Through to eight. And here the Lord is talking to his bride, the church. And the bride is responding to the bridegroom, the beloved. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 6 through to 8. Until the day break, until the day break, and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. In the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and exalted above the hills. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh. I just interpret a little bit here. Calvary was the mountain of myrrh. That's where Jesus suffered on Mount Calvary for us. The cross, the mountain of myrrh, the mountain of suffering. And to the hill of frankincense. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he is now symbolically at the heel of frankincense where the incense of the prayers of the saints and his intercession is going. But first it's the mountain of myrrh, Calvary's mountain of suffering. Then it's the hill of frankincense and the offering of the intercessions of the saints. Then he says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. We heard about that. Come with me. Now he calls the bride. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shina and Hermon, from the lions and from the mountains of the leopards. And he's calling the bride. Come and look with me from the top of the mountains. The mountains. All right, now let's look at what the prophet is saying. So Isaiah is saying that in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and exalted above the hills. All right, now as the mountains around of Jerusalem. Now, all through Israel's history, you find that the Lord was doing something in mountains. And we just refer to some of them. When he brought them out of Egypt, through the blood of the Passover lamb, he brought them to a mountain. What was that mountain? Mount Sinai. And in Mount Sinai, what did the Lord do? He gave them the Mosaic covenant, the law covenant, through Moses on the mountain. So Mount Sinai, the giving of the covenant of the law, the tabernacle of Moses. And then when Moses was about to die, the Lord said, you're not allowed to go in the promised land because he said the wrong thing with his lips, got mad with his congregation. And personally, I wouldn't blame him having that congregation, murmuring for 40 years at him. And the Lord said, you're not going to the promised land, but come with me to the mountain, to Mount Pisgah, Mount Nebo, Nebo also. And he said, as you look from the mountain, you can view the whole promised land into which Israel is going, but Come from the mountain, and you can look from the mountain, but you'll not go into the land. And then we think of uh, when they came into, uh, into the land of promise, 
Joshua was the one that led them out of the wilderness into Egypt, uh, into, out of the wilderness into Canaan, pardon me. Moses led them out of Egypt into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, but Joshua led them out of the wilderness into Canaan land to two mountains. And the first thing they brought, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. We heard that in the prophetic word. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And this Ark was placed between, between two mountains. Mount Ebal on the left hand, which was the mountain of cursing, and Mount Gerizim, which was on the right hand, the Mount of Blessing. Six tribes were on the Mount of Blessing, and six tribes on the Mount of Cursing, and the Ark of the Covenant was between. So as they come in to possess the land, they come between two mountains. So all through Israel's history, God is doing something about mountains. Now, in Israel's history, as he says, the psalmist says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. So Jerusalem itself was surrounded by mountains, but there are three most important mountains in the history of the nation. And just to help us on this area, I'm going to put a very simple diagram on the overhead just to help our understanding here. Three of the most important mountains in the history of the nation. Okay, let's uh, look at this here. So what we're looking at together is in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. What mountains, Isaiah? The three most important mountains, and, and this is all foundation, but it's absolutely necessary if we're going to understand Tabernacle of David. The three most important mountains in the history of the nation was, and I put it in this order, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. In David's time, when David set up the tabernacle, it was Mount Gibeon. But the three most important mountains in Israel's history, with all the mountains and all that God was doing in mountains, the three most important mountains in Israel's history was Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, and Mount Moriah. Let's say those three mountains together, folks. First most important mountain is Mount Sinai. Let's say it again, Mount Sinai. Second most important mountain is Mount Zion. Say it again, Mount Zion. Third most important mountain is Mount Moriah. Say it again, Mount Moriah. The three most important mountains as the mountains. His foundation is in the holy mountains. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. What are we singing about? Oh, yes, Lord, I understand a little bit more. Clearly, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. Now the prophet is saying in the last days, not the former days that we looked at last week, but in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains, above Mount Sinai, above Mount Zion, above Mount Moriah. The mountain of the Lord's house. Now, I'm not, I don't want to spend time on this part, but just for those who are taking down notes, what does the mountain symbolize in Scripture? Does anybody know? What does the mountain symbolize in Scripture? Let me just give you two Scriptures only because I want to get to the house. That's the main thing, okay? Let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 51. Okay, two symbols that have to be interpreted here that we sing about. We, we sing it right out of Isaiah. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. So the symbol of the mountain and the symbol of the house. What does the mountain symbolize in Scripture? Jeremiah chapter 51. Just give you two scriptures on this uh, because of what we do need to finish this morning. 
Jeremiah 51, I'll make the statement first and then give you the exact scripture. A mountain in scripture is always symbolic of a kingdom. Let me say it again. A mountain in scripture is always symbolic of a kingdom. So what's a mountain symbolic of? Say it again. I want you to verbalize it so it gets into your heart, from your head down into your heart. All right, Jeremiah 51 and verse 24 and 25 He's talking about the kingdom of Babylon. And notice what he says about the kingdom of Babylon. Jeremiah 51 verse 24. And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all the evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Babylon and Zion. Babylon hated Zion. Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain. So the kingdom of Babylon was a destroying mountain. It was the kingdom of Babylon that destroyed Mount Zion and destroyed the tabernacle of David and all that was involved in Zion. And it's the Babylonian system today that hates Davidic worship and hates Zion. If you've been around like I have, you'd uh, read some of the literature I just got some when I was in the States this last visit. Restorationists, Dick Iverson, Kevin Connor, last day heresies. Oh, well, I've had a bit of peace for a while. Tabernacle of David, worship, heresy. See, I get these articles periodically. But while they're fighting it, I'm enjoying it. Hallelujah. Are you? I'm against these. So Babylon hates, because Babylon doesn't have what we're going to be talking about in worship. So Babylon is destroying mountain. I'm against the destroying mountain, says the Lord, which destroyeth all the earth, and I will stretch out my hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks. That's a rock and roll one. That's God's rock and roll. I'll roll thee down from the rocks and make thee a burnt mountain. Hallelujah. Go over to Daniel chapter 2. Just two, two scriptures and I'll give you one because I don't want to spend too much time on the mountain. Daniel chapter 2. And uh, pick up in verse 44 and 45 just to give you the thought. So we're saying a mountain in scripture is symbolic of a kingdom. Okay, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Hallelujah which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom will not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. We think of the kingdom message and what God is saying to the church through the kingdom message today and the kingdom mandate. Now look what he says about this kingdom. For as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain. I always sing these things, you know, I go to the rock, I go to the... Rock and the mountain stands by me. When all around is sinking sand and close to solid rock, we sing these things. For as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. So the stone kingdom. What's the stone kingdom? The kingdom of God. So a mountain, it's cut out of the mountain without hands. And uh, why don't you, if you're taking notes, put down Revelation chapter 17 without turning to it. Revelation 17, 
where uh, Daniel, uh, John, pardon me, he sees the woman that's sitting on seven mountains, and the seven mountains are seven kingdoms, seven kings, seven kingdoms. So wherever you see the thought of a mountain, it's symbolic of the kingdom of God. So mountain and the kingdom. Now, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. Come with me in from the top and look from the top of the mountains. Less smoke up here, less smog up on the mountains. You get a clearer view. So in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house. Now, let's ask ourselves the next question. So the three most important mountains in Israel's history, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. Now the question we ask ourselves is this. Why were these mountains so important? Do you know why? Because in each of these mountains, there was a house. In each of the mountains, there was a house. Let me say it again. I'm taking it slow. In each of these mountains, there was a house. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God. So if you wanted to go to the house of God, you had to go mountain climbing. So come and let us go up to the mountain, to the house of our God. Many people say, oh, let's go up to the mountain, let's go up to the house. But in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountain. It's going to be above these mountains. These mountains were symbolic. These houses were symbolic. All right, now let's verbalize these things. In this first mountain, Mount Sinai, the house of the Lord that was there was what we refer to the tabernacle of Moses. So let's say that together, the tabernacle of Moses, the mountain and the house. Then when David come along and the revelation that God gave to him, and this is what we're in due time zeroing in on particularly, Mount Zion and what house was in Mount Zion? The tabernacle of David. So you can never separate Zion and the tabernacle of David. Whenever you sing about Zion, you involve the tabernacle of David. That's what made Mount Zion so significant, the tabernacle of David in Mount Zion and what was established there. And then you come to the third mountain and this is Mount Moriah and what house of the Lord was in Mount Moriah? The temple of Solomon. The temple of Solomon. Okay, so we start to get into God's viewpoint. Let's, uh, let's put this one this way. This is uh, three excellent books in the bookshop for anybody interested. <clears throat> uh, just time out for a commercial here. Uh, Trilogy by a close friend of mine, Kevin John Connor. Excellent books on this area. Okay. Okay, so we have number one, the Tabernacle of Moses and all the camping of the Lord there. And we're going to have a whole service around this and what we sing about. It's going to be a fantastic service. And then Tabernacle of David, which was in Mount Zion, where the Ark of God was, taken out of here, taken over here. And then the Tabernacle of David was not the ultimate, by the way. It was preparatory to the ultimate. We heard about preparation this morning. The ultimate was the Temple of Solomon. And all that was embodied in these previous houses of the Lord was embodied here. And you know, you and I are called to be the Temple of God. Where God's glory, and God's presence may flow and people will be drawn into it. House of the Lord. All right, so the mountain and the house, the mountain and the house. All right, now, next thing we need to look at here then in our last number of moments is 
The significance of these mountains, his foundation is in the holy mountains. These were the holy mountains. But in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established in the top of the mountains. Now, we've interpreted the, the symbol of the mountain, and the mountain symbolizes what? Kingdom, all said together, a kingdom. What does the house symbolize? What does the house symbolize? The house of God, the church. Let's go over to some New Testament scriptures here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, it's really important we sing about these things, but it's important that we understand what we're singing. Otherwise, we enjoy the music and miss the message of the music. 1 Timothy chapter 3. No mistaking what the house symbolizes. The New, the New Testament clearly shows that the house of the Lord is the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. But if I tarry long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in what? The house of God. So the house is the symbol. which uh, the, uh, Behave yourself in the house of God. And he interprets the symbol, which is the what? So the house is the church. Is that right? Does your Bible say that? So we've got to learn how to behave. Children have to be taught how to behave. Young people, old people have to be taught how to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. The house, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountain. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. What does Peter say here? For time has become, for the time has come, that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. Is he talking about this building? No, not going to persecute this building. Or judge this building? Hope not anyway. Judgment must begin at the house of God. We are the house of God, the church. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Why are you in Peter? First chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And Peter adds another word that clarifies it first. First Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as what sort of stones? Not rolling stones. What sort of stones? Lively. Did anybody say rolling stones? Lively stones. I build up what sort of a house? What sort of a house? Spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore it's contained in Zion. Oh, here's Zion again. A chief cornerstone, so forth. So a spiritual house. One other scripture, Hebrews chapter 3. So the scriptures clearly show that God's house is the church. So when it says in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, we have the mountain and the house. The mountain and the house, the Lord's house is the church. Hebrews chapter 3. One other scripture on this. Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll pick up verses 1 through to 6. And as I, as I read this scripture, let me sort of superimpose it on the diagrams we've got here. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, 
Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession or confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. What was his house? The tabernacle of the law, the tabernacle of Moses. Moses was faithful in all the little details of this tabernacle. He didn't say, oh, God's love, it doesn't really matter about these intricate details. No, he was faithful in the little things. He was faithful in all his house. Are we faithful in our house? Are we faithful in the house of the Lord? Faithfulness. Well done, thou good and faithful. Doesn't have to be good. They'll be good and faithful. We can have some good pianists, but are they faithful? How many think they are? For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man. Hear it, saints. Every house is builded by some man. The tabernacle of Moses, the house of the law, was built by Moses according to a pattern. The tabernacle of David, built by David according to a pattern. Order there. The temple of Solomon, every house is builded by some man. And the house takes on the character of the man. That's why it's important that the man be right. Because if the man is wrong, the house is out. How many understand what I'm saying this morning? Okay. The man and the house. So the temple of Solomon, the house of the Lord, built by Solomon. Moses, David, Solomon. Every house is built by some man. But what's the rest of the verse say? But he that built all things is God. God gave the revelation of these mountains and houses. So every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithfully in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken after. But Christ, not as a servant, but as a son, not in his house, but over his own house, and all sat together, whose house are we? Whose house are we? What's the Lord's house today? Us. We are the church. Come and let us go up to the mountain, to the Lord's house. And so the tabernacle of Moses had its truth. The tabernacle of David had its truth. The temple of Solomon had its truth. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter uh, 1 here, and I'm going to read from Amplified. I just have two more scriptures before our time's through. And, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And while you follow along in whatever translation you've got, I'm going to read it from Amplified. Amplified says, Hebrews 1 verse 1 will be sufficient. In many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways God spoke of all to our forefathers in and by the prophets. In the last days he's spoken unto us in the person of a son. Let me superimpose it here. In many separate revelations each of which set forth a portion of the truth, God spoke. So the tabernacle of Moses has its portion of truth. Tabernacle of David has its portion of truth. And the Temple of Solomon has its portion of truth. And we don't use one portion of truth to contradict the other. They all flow together. So we don't contradict. So separate revelations, each with their portion of truth, but God speaking. Now I want you to go over to 
John's Gospel as we finish here. John, John's Gospel, chapter 12. You understood what I've been saying this morning? John's Gospel, chapter 12. And I want to look at verse 32, but let me just bring some thoughts together as we finish our word this morning. So the prophet Isaiah says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, so mountain symbolic of the kingdom, the house symbolic of the church, the kingdom and the church. The mountain and the house, the kingdom and the church. Upon this rock I will build my church. I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom, the kingdom and the church. Not the church without the kingdom, not using the kingdom message and neglecting the church. See, some emphasize kingdom, destroy the church, run down the church. Some preach the church, neglect the kingdom. Balance. Church and kingdom, church and kingdom. Upon this rock I'll build my church, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Mountain and house, mountain and house, kingdom and the church. Now, what's Isaiah's prophecy? How does it link up with what we've been sharing the last two Sundays? About the Gentiles and the Jews? He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains. And what's going to happen? All, all, all nations are going to flow to it. All nations. Back there, only the Jewish nation could flow to that. Only the Jewish nation could go to this one. And only the Jewish nation, and only the Jewish nation there, a few Gentile proselytes, but in the last days, there's going to be the mountain of the Lord's house, the kingdoms established in the house of the Lord, and all nations. Hallelujah. And so he's going to build again the tabernacle of David, and all nations are going to flow into it, out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. All nations. And you remember Sunday morning last year, was it, or this year, when we had about 39 different representatives of nations on this platform, out of this church. All nations flowing. Aren't you glad this morning? Australians, Germans, Russians, Chinese, Polish, Americans, doesn't matter, all nations flowing to the house of the Lord. Now, how are they going to flow? Let me finish on this. Have you ever seen anything flow uphill? How many of you know that if you want to get something to flow uphill, you have to pump it? But how many know that we don't have to pump up the meetings here? How many have been in a pumped up meeting? How many prefer it to flow? A meeting that flows where you don't have to pump it up or pump it down. Flow. Now, if you're going to get things to flow uphill, do you know how you can get it to flow uphill? There must be something going on in that house that is a drawing power. A drawing power. And as is that something, someone in that house is going to draw. And what does Jesus say here, John 12, 20, uh, 32? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, listen to it, saints, read it, understand it, and I, who's the I there? The Lord Jesus Christ. And I, if I be lifted up, we want to lift him up in this place. We don't want to lift up man, or lift up things, lift up gimmicks. We want Christ in the house. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, so many churches are bringing Christ down to earth, mixing it with earthly things, earthly music, sensual, and a lot of other things, earthly gimmicks. But he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, between heaven and earth, what's going to happen? 
I'm going to draw. And when he draws, nations flow. Because it's his drawing power that is the flowing power. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.